1045 The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is The Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. Presented by Renters Warehouse. And here we go. Straight up, 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm glad to have you with us. I'm blessed to have you as a part of my audience. I'm Jason Martin. You can find me on Twitter at jmartzone. You can find me currently inside the bunker here in Brentwood for edition number nine of this program brought to you by Renner's Warehouse. And I have gotten out of my habit, but I am blessed beyond measure, all reasonable and otherwise. I hope you recognize that you are as well. I know it's a scary time. Certainly an uncertain time, and I just hope it finds you and yours doing as well as you can. My Twitter, at jmartzone, always wide open for a private communication, a faith-based conversation. And you can also email me at jmartclone at gmail.com. Just a PSA for you out there, April Fool's jokes are not funny. With the sole exception being my mom calling me years ago to tell me I was going to have a brother. That was pretty funny. Von Miller goes on Instagram with a big splash screen that says Broncos release. Von Miller says, Denver, it's been real. First off, I want to thank the fans. Broncos country, the best fan base in the world. Last nine years have been incredible. Super Bowl 50, they can never take that away from us. Excited to see what the future holds. All love. He's not going anywhere. It was an April Fool's joke. Ha, ha, ha. Like I said. These things are not funny. I don't know that they've ever been funny. Maybe you have done one that is funny, or at least you think you have. But speaking of releases and defensive players and disruptors and guys that can get after the quarterback, Jadevian Clowney, this coming out a little bit earlier on today, Jadevian Clowney reportedly is dropping what he's asking for from 20 to 21 million a season to 17 to 18 a season. Now, there is some controversy or maybe there's an information change somewhere between camps where there are some folks that are saying that the 17 to 18 is only for a certain kind of deal, not for a multi-year deal. Like if you want a one-year deal, he'll do that for 17 or 18, but multiple years he wants 20. Now, I have no idea whether or not that's accurate or not. Everything's fluid. The one thing we do know is accurate from Jim Wyatt and others is that John Robinson has been in touch with the agents of both Logan Ryan and Jadevian Clowney, and John Robinson's kicking the tires pretty hard on Clowney just to see, quote, where we're at on that one, unquote. I want to ask you a question, though, about Jadevian Clowney. We remember how dominant he was at South Carolina. We remember all the stories. We remember the Outback Bowl play. We'll never forget it. Is Jadevian Clowney worth a ton of money and a ton of trust? Not that he's been a bad guy. I'm not saying it from that perspective in terms of trust, but this is a guy that in his one, two, three, four, five, six seasons in the NFL has played a full 16 games once. He played 13 in 2015, 14 in 2016, 15 in 2018. Now, those aren't low, low numbers, but it means he's missed a little bit of time. And in 2019, he played 13 games. 
So he gets moved from the Texans to the Seahawks because the Texans didn't want to pay him or didn't want to be on the hook for it. So they got rid of him. And in Seattle, in those 13 games that he played, he had 21 tackles and three sacks. There is no question that sacks can be an overrated stat in terms of, look, you can disrupt a lot and cause a lot without actually getting the sack total yourself. But these numbers aren't jump-off-the-page kind of numbers. There are only, I think, five edge defenders that have nine-figure contracts right now in the NFL. J.J. Watt, Frank Clark, Demarcus Lawrence, the aforementioned Vaughn Miller, and Khalil Mack. And I think it's Miller and Mack that are making the most. And Aaron Donald also, I think, is uh, right there, obviously, in terms of total, total money there. Do you think that Jadevian Clowney should be in that mix? Now, in terms of just pure talent, sure. But I think the question mark here is less about money and more about health. I think that's probably... And I think I've actually seen that that's one of the things that John Robinson's looking at. That's a, that's something that all the teams that might at least be considering Jadevian Clowney are looking at. The problem with Clowney is it's hard not to overlook the freakishness that he has from an athletic standpoint, from a power standpoint, from an ability standpoint. It's hard to look past that to what you've actually seen from Jadevian Clowney on the field because I would tell you that based on what we thought he was going to be when he entered the league, remember people wanted him to shut it down because he was going to be so dominant in the NFL? This is a guy who had 29 sacks in his five years combined in Houston. He has 32 sacks for his six-year career. He has 172 solo tackles in six years. 236 total tackles. I mean, these are not terrible numbers, but didn't you expect more? And then you see things from people in Seattle and people in Houston, and I think we've actually seen it with our own eyes, where at times he just fills it up. It just looks like he can do anything, like he's Superman, and then at other times he disappears, and it's not just a play here and there. He'll disappear for multiple games, just totally vanish. What's one of the biggest things that we had kind of complained about as it related to Corey Davis for the Titans? The fact that you'd see him, like he did two seasons ago, go wild against the Philadelphia Eagles and play his butt off you know, against the Texans a handful of games later or against the Patriots a handful of games later, but he'd be on a milk carton between those times. Clowney is another guy that is more like Swiss cheese. Like you're either going to get taste or you're just going to get nothing because it's just a hole right there in that spot where you're biting. Nothing there. Clowney's not a guy that consistently was doing it game after game after game after game, indicated by the fact that even though he was certainly a disruptor in Seattle last year, in his 13 games, he totaled exactly three sacks. He forced four fumbles, which is not a terrible number either. But these are not game-changing kind of stats. And you think about Casey is gone. You've got Simmons who you're wanting to develop. You like the makeup of your defensive line, but you absolutely need another pass rusher. This team desperately needs to find a way to get to the quarterbacks, especially in this division. Rivers ain't going to be able to run away. 
we don't assume Gardner Minshew is going to be anything spectacular. And Watson, you've just got to get to Watson. And now that he doesn't have Hopkins, he might be forced to either hang on to the ball longer or take off and try to run. So you need somebody that can try to seal off that edge and make it harder for him to get upfield. But is Clowney that guy? It depend, again, it depends on the money. Now, 17 to 18 for a year, is that worth it? The Titans have the money to spend here, and they've positioned themselves well. So is this worth a one-year risk? I don't think signing Jadevian Clowney for multiple years is necessarily in the best interest of this franchise, unless you can get it at a bargain that it doesn't look like you can get it at currently. Now, if you can get him short-term and make it so he's still got an incentive to try and get paid again, he has said, I want to win a Super Bowl. I think he wants to get paid, and he wouldn't mind winning a Super Bowl. But I do think that this is still more of a business proposition for him than anything else. If you are worried about his health, it doesn't matter how great he can be if he can't be on the field for you. You need him to be there. You saw the difference in the Titans' defense when Jarrell Casey was not out there for them in terms of what they were able to do getting to the quarterback or just bottling up the inside and discombobulating the opposite side. Clowney is a guy that, when he is on fire, he could be the only thing that you see. There were a couple of games last year where watching the Seahawks, it was you watched Russell Wilson on offense, and then you just kept your eyes peeled on whatever it was that Jadavian Clowney was doing defensively. That is the boom potential here. That's how good it can be. When Jarrell Casey is, or pardon me, when Jadevian Clowney is dialed in, when he's really feeling it, when he's inspired. I hate that he's one of those players that I don't know that I can trust to be self-motivated 100% of the time. Maybe that's asking a lot. Maybe nobody gives it their all on every play. But there are certainly examples where you could, if we were taking calls right now, or certainly you could tweet me, where you could say, this guy, I never saw him take a playoff. Like, to my knowledge, even though obviously from a health standpoint it became a problem, I, I don't think I can recall a time when Delaney Walker didn't give it his all on the field on a play. I never seem to get that sense. I've never kind of watched Kevin Byard give up on a play, for example. I've also never seen during his time here when Marcus Mariota would give up on a play, sometimes to his detriment because it put him in a position to get hurt taking risks, but continually trying to go for that extra yard. Jadevian Clowney does not come across to me quite as motivated as that. But because of his talent, if the price is right, then the risk could still be worth it. I just don't know if you want to be in the the, uh, Jadevian Clowney business half a decade from now. You think he's been in the league longer than he actually has? I mean, folks, this is a guy who was born on Valentine's Day in 1993. I mean, we are not even all that close, actually, to him being 30. It feels like he's been in the league a lot longer than he actually has, but this will just be his seventh season. But again, it does concern me that in the six years that he has played in the NFL, this is a guy that has only played a full slate of 16 games once and it's because he's had something nagging on him whether it was a shoulder or something going on with a quad or a foot he's just had a fleet of minor maladies things that haven't like kept him completely out 
of everything. I mean, his first season he played four games. But then it was 13, 14, 16, 15, and then 13 with the Seahawks. Like, it wasn't just a total disaster or anything. It's not like he's missing half these seasons. But he's missing enough that the problem is, when is he going to miss? Because you can't always, or not always, you can never plan for that. You can't just, well, as long as he's getting injured against the weak part of the schedule. But you don't even know what that is. And any team in the NFL can beat you. The Titans have proven, even though last year it didn't tend to be the case, it seemed like they finally broke through this, but they were a team that could beat anybody or get beaten by anybody. So as long as the price is right for Clowney, and I think that's the due diligence, and that's the good thing about John Robinson, the way that they're doing this. There are people that could have John Robinson's job that already would have just signed that thing without actually doing all the legwork. They would have jumped to a conclusion faster than necessary. Here, Clowney's representation has realized, especially with what's going on in the world right now and with the economy and everything else, that maybe the value's not as high and maybe we, you don't need to sit on the sidelines right now. So let's less that cost. Let's bring it down just to shade and see whether or not that increases the interest. You've seen the Titans and the Seahawks still trying to find a way to keep him, but this may open the market up for seven or eight more teams. But at $16, $17 million, somewhere in that neighborhood, maybe $18 million, is it worth the risk? There are some question marks here, but we do know that if and when he lives up to his potential, and we have seen that at different times, just not consistently through his career, dude can be as dominant as dominant gets. So this is going to be interesting to continue to monitor. Tweet me at jmartzone. Let me know whether you think this clowny deal is fully worth the risk or if you would be concerned if you see any of these red flags as possibilities where this isn't a guy that you necessarily want to get into business with. Again, not because of a personality thing, just because of sometimes an inconsistency thing and certainly a health thing. We'll be right back. It's the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. Zone. Welcome back to the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin. Glad to have you with us. Blessed to have you as a part of my audience. Blessed to have an audience right now. I hope you and yours continue to do well. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse. They are dedicated to making renting your home easy, fast, and worry-free. Renters Warehouse, you can't buy happiness, but you can rent it. So Will Wade is still the coach at LSU. A.D. Scott Woodward said a little bit earlier today, Employment status remains unchanged after the HBO doc, The Scheme, aired last night. They actually gave me, HBO gave me that a couple of weeks ago, and I honestly didn't have a chance to watch it in advance. I had hoped to, and then it just didn't happen. But one thing I can tell you is, I mean, are you surprised about this? Because I'm not. When this story first broke, I said, well, Wade never should coach there again. And for a while, probably shouldn't coach anywhere again. And for us to hear these audio recordings here where, you know, strong bleep offer and all that kind of stuff. And you heard Christian Dawkins in the thing say, I think the only way you can interpret someone in a head coaching position saying they made a strong bleep offer, they ain't talking about a scholarship offer, bro. 100% talking about money. I think this gets to a different issue, and that is, are we sweeping this under the rug because we just don't care? or because enough people compromise the word we or 
make up the word we that don't care. There are some people out there that do. I don't know that I care, but I can tell you this. Until the rule changes, you kind of have to care. Even if you don't believe in a rule or don't believe in a law, you've still got to follow it until such time that it's not a rule or not a law. When this first, when this story first broke, I talked about how you can go out and you can speed, and a lot of times you're not going to get caught. Most times you're not going to get caught. But if you do get pulled over and get a ticket, that's because you still broke a law. Even if you think it's a bogus law, you made the decision. You took the risk. So you've got to deal with the cost. You've got to deal with the consequences of that. Will Wade didn't deal with the consequences because LSU thinks Will Wade can win basketball games for them and he can recruit. And honestly, you know, I don't know what's in the head of that university, the former AD, the current AD, the administration. I don't know what their motivations are. I can only speak externally for how I feel about it. And how I feel about it is they value winning and they just don't think enough people care that it's going to harm their reputation. And here's the problem. They're probably right. Like, I don't think Will Wade has any business coaching at LSU. We know he did wrong. We know Sean Miller did wrong. We know a lot of other coaches that probably did wrong. We also assume, and this is kind of the state of affairs in college athletics, we assume that a whole lot more teams and a whole lot more coaches and a whole lot more athletic directors and administrations are breaking laws and breaking rules. And by laws, I mean NCAA laws in most cases here. But sometimes, you know, bribery or fraud or whatever else. We assume that a lot of people are doing this. There's just a couple of them getting caught. I mean, you go back to blue chips and head coach Pete Bell and giving kids tractors and duffel bags full of cash and their parents' jobs and all that kind of stuff. The reason why that movie didn't make us raise our eyebrows is because that's what we've always thought was true. Remember the program and just how those athletes were treated at that version of Florida State and it just kind of is accepted that behind closed doors, a whole lot of nefarious stuff, a whole lot of skullduggery and chicanery and shenanigans are going down. And we just kind of shrug our shoulders at it because how are you supposed to judge it? How are you supposed to penalize it? How are you supposed to punish it when it's going on so much across the board? And the truth of the matter is everybody on that road, going back to the analogy I told you, Everybody on that road might be speeding, but you're the one that gets a ticket. And you could complain to the officer and say, I was just going the same pace as everybody else was on the roadways. And you could be right, but it doesn't matter because bad behavior doesn't excuse other bad behavior. There could be some problems here. And yes, this opens up the can of worms about should we be paying college athletes? You know, is it a farce to say that they are student athletes? That whole ball of wax, everything is just kind of sitting there. And inherently, a lot of us probably don't like the current system. The NCAA is a very easy target because it's an easy boogeyman because at times it wants to wield its authority. It has little man syndrome where it's like a Napoleonic complex. They go after things that make no sense and then they let some other things skate that should be hit a lot harder. There are probably more schools probably more than I can count on one hand that should have gotten the death penalty for various things that they did, at least in comparison to some of the penalties that we've seen other universities get for smaller infractions. But unfortunately, there's no balance here. 
and there's no, it doesn't seem like there's any kind of a standard here. So you hear Christian Dawkins in the scheme saying, quote, just the audacity. You got to take your hand off to him, man. He not only didn't get charged for anything, not only did the government have all of this information and evidence and nothing was happening on a criminal level, he also basically just said bleep you to the NCAA and the university he worked for, and he still got to keep his job and make millions of dollars. It's like the perfect storm. Will Wade is definitely a bleeping gangster for what he did. I mean, he's not wrong, right? Like we know, we knew when this thing first broke that this thing was as dirty as it gets. We probably didn't think that all the LSU players that played in the SEC tournament last year should have been on the floor. But for the fact that LSU was betting correctly that it wasn't going to end up harming them in the end. And they were right. And they didn't force Will Wade out and fire him because they were hoping eventually this would blow over and they could bring him back in. And they turned out to be right. Yes, when he was reinstated, and this from ESPN, he agreed to an amended contract that included a new stipulation that allows the university to fire him with cause if he's found to have committed level one or level two violations. Under the terms of the amended contract, Wade agreed to forfeit a $250,000 performance bonus for the 2018-19 season. He also agreed not to sue the university if he is fired with cause. I just think it's funny. Or maybe funny is not the right word, but certainly amusing and curious that the amended contract has a stipulation that says they can fire him if he's committed level one or level two violations. Yeah, you know what? If you do this, we can fire you. Now, we know you already did some stuff you shouldn't have done. We're going we're gonna to let that one go, but don't let it happen again. Go win some ball games for us, though. Here's the thing. Does anybody believe that Will Wade would still have his job if he sucked as a head basketball coach at LSU? I mean, the answer is obvious. The answer is no. This gets back to the age-old, very easy-to-see argument, and it's not just in sports. It's not just in politics. It's not just in entertainment. It's not just in law. It's not just in medicine. It's not just in retail. If you're good at what you do, you have a longer leash. If you are someone with power or someone with talent, they will overlook transgressions. If you're not very good, they will find transgressions that they never would have discovered otherwise to give them reason to move on from you and not leave you any leg to stand on as it relates to a lawsuit. This is why, whether you agree with it or not, Colin Kaepernick has no job at this stand, at this stage, because to take Colin Kaepernick on means to inherit some kind of controversy some kind of polarization, some kind of questions about your organization, some kind of pushback from your fan base, maybe even some advertisers. And I, like I said, this doesn't mean any. I'm not giving you a judgment on what I believe about Colin Kaepernick's stand. I'm just telling you what the reality of the situation is. But if Colin Kaepernick's name was Patrick Mahomes and the same exact stance and it, the only thing different was the name, but it was Patrick Mahomes and his talent instead of Colin Kaepernick and his talent. Does anybody within the sound of my voice listening to this program right now believe that Patrick Mahomes would not have a job in the NFL? If you do, I have a bridge to sell you. In fact, I've got two bridges to sell you. I've got five bridges to sell you. And the U.S. now has more cases of coronavirus than China.
Seriously. It's preposterous. But it's all based on talent. Will Wade showed that he could win games and bring in talent. LSU's not exactly a basketball power. Hasn't been known to be that since, oh, I don't know, Chris Jackson. And that means before he became Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. Since Shaquille O'Neal. Doesn't mean they haven't had a player here and there, like a Stromile Swift or somebody like that. But last year was an LSU team unlike we had seen in ages. And Will Wade was one of the difference makers there. So Will Wade, LSU, is going to hold on as long as they possibly can until there is just absolutely no choice but to let him go. Because they know Will Wade's don't grow on trees. And in fact, maybe some of this stuff that he's doing that's not exactly above board is reaping benefits in the win-loss column, in the booster money-being-raised column, in LSU's prestige, all of that kind of stuff. So they're looking at the pros and the cons, and they're saying, yeah, this might reflect negatively, but do, do people really care that college basketball programs are dirty in 2020? Is this new information? Did we not just kind of blindly assume this has been true since like 1985 or maybe even earlier? If you're wagering that at LSU, then that explains your decision-making process. If you watch the scheme, it's pretty daggone obvious that Will Wade should have been fired, that he committed the kinds of acts from a coaching standpoint, from a leadership standpoint. His integrity not only is called into question, it's shattered. But what does integrity matter in business? If you can get away with it, LSU is proving not a whole heck of a lot. We'll be right back. It's a big six on 104.5 The Zone. So. It's a big six. It's a Wednesday here in the Music City, live from the Bunker in Brentwood edition number nine. We're just going to say it's nine of the program. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. You can email me anything you want at jmartclone at gmail.com. Mark Cuban has said he doesn't know when the NBA is coming back. He doesn't understand the timetable anymore. He's a lot less positive than he sounded a few weeks ago. You're hearing rumblings of let's find one venue or two venues and play all of the postseason there. There are vastly more accounts now that say the NBA is probably coming back with no fans. And there are a lot of folks like Bill Simmons who said today, He doesn't think the NBA is coming back this season. I'm kind of on that side, but I will tell you this. If you're Adam Silver and you look at television numbers that were down prior to COVID-19 and the epidemic and the outbreak, this is not exactly the NFL and college football. The NBA, which seemed to start back in August, it didn't. It started in October. But when you take a look at those television numbers, And how unless LeBron James was playing, and because he was on the West Coast, a lot of East Coast teams were struggling. Nobody's watching the Milwaukee Bucks. They had the best record in the league, and Giannis was probably the MVP again. But nobody's watching the Bucks. Nobody's watching the Raptors, Sands, Kawhi Leonard. There just wasn't any glitz in the East. So the early numbers were struggling, which meant the lead-in struggled. And the West Coast wasn't getting a great audience from the East Coast mainly because there was no possible way that it could have. People go to sleep, you know? It's not as easy as it looks. But 
because it's not the NFL, because it's not college football, and yeah, I just killed a ladybug. That's why that took a couple of extra seconds. Again, we are doing new things here on the Big Six brand. I know you probably didn't like that I killed a ladybug, but they just keep popping up, and they are frustrating me at this point in time. Maybe I didn't kill it. Maybe I just kind of rendered it unable to move for a little while, knocked it upside down. I'll take it out during the break. If you can get the league back and run your playoffs like a tournament, basically, in an empty arena, even though Charles Barkley has said you can't do this without fans, the fans are what drives it, all of that stuff, think about the lengths to which people are going to find sports, especially those with a gambling interest. You've got people gambling on virtual NASCAR races. Two weeks ago, 900,000 people watched the first virtual NASCAR race. There was a Madden tournament. There's all these things. People are going everywhere to find live competition. The NBA ratings, if you could bring this thing back, if you could get it back in June or July safely and run it in front of no fans, yeah, that's not ideal, but the television numbers would be through the roof. If people are flocking to try and find, I don't know, water polo on television, blindfolded water polo, whatever the Ocho might be running, ultimate Frisbee, anything. If they're watching replays of stuff they've already seen just to get their sports fixed, how many of them do you think are going to flock to watch National Basketball Association playoffs in the summer of 2020 when there's no Olympics, when we don't even know yet if there's going to be any kind of a training camp, if college football is going to get moved to next spring instead of playing in the fall? There's going to be nothing there. So if the NBA runs a tournament, runs the playoffs, everybody is going to watch this thing. You all of a sudden have an audience that you never would have had. You will have people checking in that have never cared about the NBA, and they're going to care because there's nothing else for them to care about. So I understand if you are Adam Silver or Mark Cuban or any number of NBA owners You want to get the season back, not just to make the money with the fans in the seats, but because you have a unique opportunity right now as a sport without quite the power of the National Football League or of college football or that level of a built-in audience to draw in a fan base. If you can sell them on your product during that time, at least it's a short-term boon for the business, but it could be a long-term. Maybe you can create stars. You can do things more innovative without fans. You can mic more people up. You can borrow from the XFL and talk to people during the games. You can figure out some creative ways to broadcast differently. I was certainly down on the XFL's chances long term. That has not changed, but I did like the innovations that I saw. I thought that, and I did just like the first time when they got the Skycam right, which is still being used today, it was an XFL innovation originally on NBC. Now you've got all of this interactivity. Now's the time to get people invested in the personas and the personalities outside of the obvious guys. You can tell more stories. You can be a little bit more relaxed. And ESPN, because they already have paid so much money for the NBA for the rights, I mean, they've got an hour-long show about the NBA on every day, 24-7, 365. There's not really any rationale behind that except trying to promote what you've already put money into so it's not like they're not going to be a willing participant here you will start seeing so many nba pieces and content all across the four letter fox will follow suit every newspaper will follow suit 
because there is no other game in town. If you give us live sports, whatever, if, and especially if there's still nothing else, there's no baseball during the summer, there's no Olympics this year, it's been moved to next August. All the movies are being moved back as well. So the summer popcorn blockbuster season is gone. You've got people that are getting tired of streaming or will get tired of streaming that want something else. And those that want their sports fix have precisely nowhere to turn, nowhere to go, unless it's out in their front yard, social distance playing wiffle ball with whatever kids parents allow out of the house right now to be around other people. The NBA has a chance, if they can find a way to do this safely, to attract an audience unlike anything we've seen probably since Michael Jordan was playing. Because with no other game in town, yeah, people will turn out and watch that Miami Heat-Toronto Raptors series. People will pay attention to the Denver Nuggets and the Portland Trailblazers. All of a sudden, Nikola Jokic will have people paying attention. Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum. It's not just LeBron James. The NBA as a brand right now has a golden opportunity. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't take into consideration all the safety precautions necessary. If you can't do it safely, then you just have to chalk up the L and say, okay, that's it for this season. But you don't have a ton of time here. You need to find a venue or a city or two where this can be pulled off and try to logistically see whether or not, not just the players, but these teams will go for it. If you can't do it safely, if there is a risk, you don't do it. But if you can, I mean, you have an opportunity to make a ton of money. Look at every sport and how they are currently trying their best to sell you on their product or their service, not just sports, but all the streaming services with stuff being moved up. I suggested that the Michael Jordan 10-part documentary for ESPN be moved up from its original June, and it is. It's going to happen starting in a couple of weeks. NFL Game Pass now available through the end of May. Everybody is offering something because they know we all tend to have a lot of time on our hands these days. Give us a live playoffs in the NBA. I'm talking astronomical ratings numbers astronomical interest level, astronomical social media content and interest level coming not just from the hardcores, but from people that maybe tune into the NBA Finals and nothing else. This is maybe the best opportunity that the NBA has had in over two decades to start to sell a brand new group of people on the quality of its product. And there's a whole lot of talent in the NBA Now's a chance to expose them while the audience has no alternative, at least if they want to watch sports. So I'll bet you behind closed doors that is part of the negotiation process. That is part of the decision-making process. Now you just have to be discerning on what's safe and proper. You don't want to come across greedy. You don't want to come across as selfish. But if you can pull this off and if you can make it look like America needs its sports, and we're going to do our best to give it to you, even though we're going to give up the revenue of people being in the seats. If this can in some way even appear 5% altruistic, you have a trillion percent win on your hands if you are Adam Silver in the, NFL, in the NBA. I don't know that it's going to happen. In fact, I'm skeptical that it will. 
but I'll be watching if it does, and I'll bet you will too. We'll be right back to finish up the program. Recommendations from the bunker up next here on the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. Download. Final segment of the program here on this Wednesday night. Glad to have you with us. I'm Jason Martin. It's the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone, live from the Brentwood Bunker, my home, edition number nine. We're brought to you by Renner's Warehouse. They are dedicated to putting homeowners on the path to financial freedom through rent estate, renting your home without having to do the hard stuff. Renter's Warehouse, the rent estate company. Time for another recommendation from the bunker, some pop culture that's out there that you can experience. If you, I mean, yeah, you do have the barrier of entry of having to have the requisite service, whether it's Netflix or Hulu or whatever it is that I call out that night. But before I even get to one that I am currently barely even started with, but something I think maybe you should check out, uh, my wife mentioned to me last week that there's a golden opportunity to, and not that there's not overlap between men and women and their viewing habits. Certainly there's not, or certainly there is. There's a ton of it. But there's also things that are more designed for one than the other. And so she said that I should be doing recommendations from a female point of view and perhaps from her point of view here and there. And so somehow I'm going to find a way to do that and maybe this can bridge the gap a little bit and offer some different things because of course I'm always coming at it from my vantage point and a lot of the stuff that I watch I think probably does kind of clip both ways but if I can find a couple of things that I know even if it's more for the ladies that's probably a good thing so she's given me a few of those and I know one of the things that she's watching right now and so I'll get kind of the lowdown on that and we'll find a way to intersperse that. Maybe even I'll rec- you know, record her for a couple minutes telling me about something and then play it for you. But tonight's recommendation from The Bunker is actually a series that's, it's a limited series. So it's a one and done kind of effort here. And it's on AMC currently. I'm actually watching two AMC shows concurrently. One that came to an end and is now looking for a home for its third season. And I'll talk about that one as another recommendation on another day, but actually uh, a listener and a friend and someone that's kind of been with us by us, I mean, squared circle radio and sports trend and a lot of the stuff that I've done through the years, Michael Burgett or Burgett rather. Uh, he actually mentioned this in a tweet to me and in a message to me and, and he was right. And it was something that I had kind of had on my radar and AMC had sent me emails about it and said, Hey, you should check this out and uh, offer me some screeners for it. And I just never got around to it. And so now I'm trying to watch it, and it's dispatches from elsewhere. Jason Siegel of How I Met Your Mother and the Muppets, he created it, but it's adapted from a documentary. Um, and the best way I know to describe it is it's very hard to describe. I don't exactly know where it's going, but I know that it's built around a quest. It's built around a mystery. It's built around a scavenger hunt involving a group of people that, from what I can sense, from what little I've been able to watch of it so far, these are people that didn't seem to have much purpose in their life, that seemed to just kind of be fluttering through their daily existence, knowing that it was just going to be the same the next day, expecting disappointment. And then they get thrust into this I don't know if it's a game. I don't know what the end game of the Institute, which I believe is the name of the actual documentary, which I'm intrigued at some point to check out. I don't know what it is that drew these particular people into what they're being brought into. And I don't know how weird it's likely to get, but it's kind of got, 
it's definitely got a quest vibe and I love quest stories, whether it's Percy Jackson, which, you know, a lot of his stories were, which I mean, if you like Harry Potter, you should check out the Percy Jackson series. The movie's not that great, but the books are very good. Uh, the Lord of the Rings obviously is a quest. A lot of good things out there in pop culture have been quests. Even lost is a quest in some ways to find a way out of the situation that's going on. Person of interest kind of turns into a quest to try and figure out Samaritan and stay alive with the machine and everything else. But here in this case, it's more of a pure oil scavenger hunt. So there's a mystery element here. And then there is a, you get from point A to point B and then you get your next envelope and you move on to point C. And that by itself is something I'm built to enjoy. I like the scavenger hunt aspect. I always enjoyed doing them myself, whether it was for a church, like for a lock-in or something when I was growing up, or even just creating one with friends and doing it. I remember doing a few of those my senior year in high school, and they're more fun than they might sound. But again, I, I don't know exactly where this show is headed. Uh, I do know that it's one of those that you don't have to commit too much time to because you know it's going to come to an end. Uh, the sixth episode aired on Monday, and when I say I'm new to it, I watched the first one last night. So I'm very, very early in this. I'm an infant when it comes to dispatches from elsewhere. But if you're looking for an escape, this is the very definition of an escape because you're really trying to figure out where it's going. You're even trying to figure out where you are, but it's inventive in the way that it's done. I think Jason Siegel is doing a good job, at least what I've seen so far, of directing it and kind of pacing it out. Even if he's not, you know, he's not Leonardo DiCaprio when it comes to just pure acting talent. He's not Daniel Day-Lewis. But he's actually pretty good and always has been. And this is a cast that doesn't rely on a lot of names that you're familiar with, except that Sally Field's in it and Andre 3000 from Outcast happens to be in it as well. But... This is unique because of how mysterious it is. It's compelling because you don't exactly know what's going on. You have to kind of walk in faith with this show that eventually it's going to pay off. But because there's a game here and the characters on screen are playing this game, even though they don't know what the end of the game is, they don't know what the destination is, they don't know if there's a prize at the end of this, they don't know if it's serious or frivolous or any of that stuff, the beginning of the series starts by saying, pretend that Peter is you and Peter is Jason Siegel's character. And they dispense with a lot of the introduction that goes on with series where the first season, a lot of it is just laying out the characters. And they tell you in two minutes, they get you up to date on this guy's life. And I think that they're going to be able to tell that same story and say, pretend that Simone is you and pretend that uh, all of these characters, Fred Wynn is you. And you can kind of look at it through their eyes, but because they're completely clueless as to what is going on and they figure it out as they go along, then you are very easily able to pretend like you are them because you are them. The only thing you're not doing is actually physically acting. You watching this, you viewing this, is you going through the mystery, you going through the scavenger hunt. You are illuminated to virtually everything that happens at the exact same second the characters are. Very often in pop culture, we know more than the characters on screen, and it gets frustrating to watch because we don't understand why they're not acting in a way that we would, but we're biased because we have information that they don't. Sometimes we get angry. Don't go into that room because you know what's behind it. Well, no, they don't, but you do because you've seen a camera that's taken you inside that room and shown you. Here, at least so far, 
everything that happens is happening in real time on screen and for us. We're not seeing anything behind the curtain that the characters are not. So that makes it more unique, and I think it makes it easier to kind of almost feel like we are the characters on screen. And when you take that, marry it to a mystery, we don't know exactly what the solution will be, but it's step by step and it turns into a whodunit. That makes it intriguing and compelling to me. That drew me into it, even though I was confused for more than a half of the first episode. So that's called Dispatches from Elsewhere. If you have, you know, a cable service, then you can watch AMC On Demand. You know, you can get AMC Premiere or whatever and get it without commercials. But that's really the only way to watch it. You can do it through AMC.com, but there's some weird things about tokens and all this kind of stuff as well. But as long as you have a cable service or a satellite service, you should be able to watch this even if you have an ad here and there. But it's not that bad. But if you're looking for a true escape, I think Dispatches from Elsewhere absolutely fits that bill. So check that out. Again, it's Jason Siegel of How I Met Your Mother who adapted the institute which is a documentary and a very good kind of adult scavenger hunt mystery kind of deal and it's got even a little bit of a twin peaks vibe because of just how strange it is but i say that as an absolute compliment to david lynch and sometimes going on faith can be its own reward because you get to the end of something like that and i feel like it's probably going to pay off and if it does then it's going to end up being pretty special it's definitely unique. There's nothing else like it on TV, and I think that totally fits the bill from a recommendation from The Bunker. All right, I'm out of time. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Be good to each other. Clear eyes, full hearts. Can't lose. God bless, and good night from the Music City. Music City.